Welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. I am Jenny Scott here with my most favorite co-host, Dan the Man Duran. How are you, Dan? I am doing very well, Jenny. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics today, food. Food, yes. I like doing my little Winnie the Pooh dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I always think of candy corns when we talk about food, Jenny, because I know that's your... That's your Achilles heel. My favorite. <laughs> Mine's very narrow. Anything chocolate. There you go. I like it. <laughs> That's what I'm going to send you now for the rest of your life. For all your holidays, all your birthdays, you're getting chocolate for me. <laughs> nice hey that's a good choice it could be worse but yes today we're going to talk about some nutrition but mostly some of the myths or the things that are floating around out there about nutrition we'll give you our two cents on it and then maybe guide you guys in the right direction as far as how to look at some of these things um so dan you ready to get started let's do it let's jump in I mean, no, no need in delay. No time like, no time like the present. Right. Let's dive on in. Okay. So the first one I want to bring up though, is trainers who want to give their clients meal plans. So in my opinion, we have to be super, super careful about giving clients a meal plan, right? If I said to you, Dan, here's what you're going to eat. And I give you a piece of paper or send you an email that lists out all the meals, all your snacks. We have to be super careful about that because technically that is outside of the scope of practice of a personal trainer. It's outside the scope of practice of a nutritionist, a dietitian, a physician, like an actual licensed medical professional is the kind of person that should be giving someone an actual written meal plan. Does it happen out there all the time, all the time, right? But we shouldn't technically be doing it. And there's many reasons why. Um, I'll give you my couple of reasons, Dan, and then I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So when we give a client a meal plan, we are now responsible for the way that they react to it, right? So if I told you to eat, you know, a bunch of citrus and some peanuts during your day, and you're allergic to one or two of those, and you get sick, that's on me for telling you to eat it. So it's a liability issue more like that to me, that's the biggest thing. It's a liability issue. You are taking someone's health into your hands without knowing anything about this person. I don't know your blood work. I don't know what you're allergic to. I could ask you, but I still don't know. Right. Um, But also to me, if you're trying to help somebody make changes to their nutrition, I, as a nutrition coach, would rather see somebody write out three to seven days worth of what they eat. Be honest. If you eat a Snickers bar, write it down, but write it out for me. Let me look at it and figure out, are you being consistent? Where do your calories fall? Approximately, where do your macros fall? I can look at that. I can plug it into a service online or an app that tells me more about your diet, and I can help you make small changes to what you're already doing, right? Versus an overhaul of everything and said, Dan, forget everything you've eaten, go to the grocery store. This is what I want you to buy, throw everything else away. You might do that for a week or two, but it's not going to be sustainable. You're going to hate me for it. And you're probably not going to do it for very long, right? Whereas if I said, Hey, Dan, let's maybe reduce the amount of cereal that you're eating, maybe measure it instead of just pouring it all in a bowl. Um, I like what you're doing for your snacks. And maybe we add a little bit of protein to your dinner, right? That's a more sustainable change. And we'll probably see more results that way. What are your thoughts, Dan? You nailed everything. Uh, I I can't think of anything to add to it. I'll just kind of 
uh, clarify my thinking or, or my points on your points, which like you said, all at once or a little at a time, yeah. um, it's behavior change, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, truly when we're making any change in our life, a choice that we make in what we eat, what we pick up, what we buy, what we put in our mouth, it's behavior change. And to drastically do that all at one time, uh, you're pretty much set up for failure. It, it's not going to be sustainable, like you said. So I'm all about little, small, micro changes over time. It's like you're not going to lose 20 pounds in a week, but you can lose a pound a week. So, you know, scale it, do a little bit at a time, and you'll achieve the end result in a much more adherable way. And the other thing is people may not like what you like. You know, I, I, if I'm coaching my son, which I do, I tell him what to eat because we're doing some planning and some training. Um, for the most part, he's going to eat what I tell him to. But if there's a little bit of something he doesn't like, I might be flexible. You can't do that with a client. You absolutely need to consider what their, their likes and dislikes are because it's going to make it that much harder for them to hear. Yeah, I do that all the time. When I look at somebody's logs of food, I always ask for seven days because three days isn't enough. And plus, to me, if you can't log for seven days, literally write down what you eat. That's all I'm asking you to do. For some people, it's like a huge paradigm shift for them. And if you can't do that, what makes me think that you're going to be able to follow a program? <laughs> right? So I use it as a test for people, literally a test for people. If you can't log your food for seven days, we need to have a whole nother discussion about your behaviors before we move on to an actual plan. Um, but to your point, like I look at the trends. If you, if it looks like you like Chinese food, cool. Let's find a way to keep Chinese food. And if you like Mexican food, I love Mexican food. Then awesome. Let's find a way to keep some Mexican style food in your diet. Find things that people are actually going to like. Cause right. The best diet, the best exercise is the kind that you'll do and the kind that you'll follow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The exercise for you is the one you'll do. And, and, and this segued into journaling, food locking. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I would definitely say if there's one single most powerful method you can use to evaluate and change your eating. It is journaling and food logging. It's just like journaling your thoughts and trying to change behavior and habits in your workday and time management, uh, reflecting on what you didn't, didn't accomplish. Uh, what was your time sucks? Same thing with food. People might think, you know, we've, we've seen it, Jeannie, uh, sorry, just called you Jeannie. Let's thinking about Jeannie, our other coworker. Jenny, you've seen it where your client goes, I only ate this, this, and this. And then you start digging in and ask, oh yeah. And I also, oh yeah. And uh, well, it was actually two big handfuls of almonds. It wasn't 10 almonds. And so being specific, like you said, makes you realize just how much those calories add up. So if there's a single tool, powerful tool, that's going to actually address a lot of the things we talk about today, write it down. I mean, you're going to write down your workouts, right? You're going to write down your client's workouts. You're going to write down your own workouts when you're training. Why wouldn't you journal your food until you have a really good understanding? Yeah. Oh, I think, I feel like that was directed at me because I may or may not have just eaten a handful of almonds and uh, <laughs> me too. and not logged it because <laughs> I log every day, but I, I'll do it. I'll put it in. <laughs> so what are your thoughts, Dan? On, and you live out in Idaho, so you're out in, in the sticks, let's be real, but out in the farm country, right? So what are your thoughts on organic versus non-organic foods? Does it really matter? Well, I, I, I'm not a scientist. And uh, don't proclaim to be one, nor do I fully understand all of the uh, fine print that goes into labeling something. And I, I believe you've done some research on this that you can share with us. But I can share with you, I grew up farming and I remember wearing white, uh, you know, head to toe coveralls like uh, Tyvek, like for hazardous materials. 
and face stuff while I'm out spraying orchards and fields with chemicals and I couldn't get it anywhere on my body yeah. uh, because it would make me sick. And I did that for a lot of years. And so you kind of have to go, huh, if I can't get it on my body and I'm spraying it all over this stuff people are going to eat, is it possible? Now, it never crossed my mind at that time, but it certainly does now. And I think about all of the things that, that we did and we put on, on crops and there's good stuff and there's other stuff that's maybe questionable. Um, but, you know, speaking to the sticks, yeah, I can grow my own garden and I don't put anything on my garden. And if I have to put anything on it, uh, there's this fine powder that's natural that kills bugs. So there's no chemicals that I throw on there to kill the bugs, but not, that's not scalable in, in the industry uh, that we buy our, our produce from or our foods from. So I would say, is it a good thing to be natural and to not have additional chemicals and additives? Absolutely. But there, there has to be a trade-off because it costs more money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, organic foods are going to be more expensive. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I would say to someone about organic versus non-organic, I don't necessarily purport one or the other. To me, I'm a bargain shopper. If it's on sale, it's for me, right? I want to buy probably the least expensive because I also eat a lot. You guys may not be able to see me. Some of you guys can. I am not a small human and I'm a bodybuilder. So I eat a lot of food. But so to me, I'm looking for cost effective. But what I would say is look up, what does that mean? What does organic mean? Because in the US, according to the USDA, organic means something, right? It's how long have they not used chemicals on that land or on those crops? And specifically, it relates to the land that that crop is farmed on. Um, I want to say it's like a couple years that they can't use chemicals. But that means that before that, there could have been chemicals in the soil, which who knows if they're still there, right? First of all, okay. Um, so what does it really mean to be organic? And who controls who puts the label on the package, right? The USDA does. So if it says organic, it has to adhere to the USDA's definition of organic, but what does that actually mean, right? So if you don't know what it means, look it up, right? Go online, look it up, find a good reputable source and find out what it means for yourself and then make that decision um, if it's more important to you to have that or not. Um, but again, food is, is it's out there. And of course there's organic and there's non-organic options, but I mean, do your research and find what works best for you. Love it, so. love it. What about GMOs, Jenny? What about ge genetically modified organisms? I believe is the, 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 the word behind the acronym. It's definitely become a bigger buzzword over maybe yes. what, the last five, eight years, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to me about your thoughts on that. You know, you've, you've also done research in that area. Yeah. So with GMOs, to me, it's one of those things, again, you need to do your research on it. What does that actually mean? I was in Costco a couple months back and I was buying salmon and it was, a, mind you, everything at Costco is enormous. Right. And so it was a huge piece of salmon. I get it. And the guy was like, some guy walks by me and like mumbles under his breath. He's like, oh, that stuff's been loaded with GMOs. And I was like, OK. And I put it in my cart and walked off because <laughs> I was like, first of all, you don't put GMOs in something. That's not what that means. Like it literally is a modification of the genetics of the organism. Originally, when they make the modification, it could be done with tools like CRISPR. It could be done with gene editing. It could be done with radiation where they basically tear up the DNA to make it um, what they want it to be. But usually GMOs, you guys, they can actually be life-saving right? They can actually help us in the world feed more people because GMOs, the way that when we genetically modify an organism, whether it's a plant or an animal, um, in a lot of cases, we're modifying it to, for example, make more vitamins, right? More vitamin A, more vitamin C in this plant. Um, we might be making it um, so that it creates bigger, thicker muscle fibers, which gives us more meat, okay? Now, when it's done on animals versus plants, 
that's that's there's a lot of ethics and stuff that goes into that. So again, do your research, figure out what you stand for. Okay, I'm not saying one way or the other, but in some cases, who like it's not a bad thing if a plant makes more vitamin A, right? It's not going to hurt the plant. In fact, it might it might help the consumer of that plant. And if it's going to help us feed the world and keep people healthier without having to supplement, why wouldn't we want to do that? Okay. So again, I'm not promoting either way, but do your research on it. What does GMO actually mean? And what you're buying, is it genetically modified? Because a lot of things are, a lot of things are. Like think of the ear of corn that you buy at the grocery store now. They're what, like 12 inches long, tons and tons of rows of corn kernels. They didn't used to look like that. Good luck finding like small, normal, normal corn from like a thousand years ago out there in the wild because it's not there. It's been modified over time. Okay. So pretty much everything is genetically modified. If you think about it, it's just whether we did it or nature did it. That's my two cents. Mic drop. Boom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And, 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 and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll second that, Matt, and give some more examples of GMOs that we're used to. That same thing with grapes. You know, if you like seedless grapes. So th- th- is that really a bad thing? And, and, and I grow, I have a little orchard. And if you look at a regular cherry, not something that's been genetically modified to be, uh, you know, uh, to have more production and have more size and more color. They're small, man. They're tiny. You got to eat like 500 of them just to, to, to feel like you ate something. Cherries aren't as big. Same thing with my pears. They're little babies, you know? So apples. Uh, great ex- yeah, apples, great example. I went to China a couple of times and I, I try to always find fresh produce and the carrots there are the size of zucchinis. <laughs> now, how the heck can a carrot be the size of a zucchini? I would submit to you that somebody did a little tweaking on the genes on that thing. And the last thing I'm going to mention for the salmon. So I used to run a salmon hatchery. You oh, don't cool. genetically modify salmon. Now, what we did used to do is we would call it playing God. And I know I, I don't want to take that, you know, nobody take that out of context, but I would choose the mama and I would choose the daddy and I would take the eggs and the sperm and mix them up in the bucket and say, okay, here's the baby. So I could choose who the parents were, but we tried to do that very randomly, of course, you know, a big, a big uh, male and a small male and a big female and a small female and have as much variety in there as possible. I don't quite know how you genetically modify a salmon, but maybe he knew something more than I did. Right. That's what I'm saying. When he said it, I was like, I just smiled. I said, okay. And I said, <laughs> my card, I was like, I'm going to eat this salmon <laughs> and it's going to be good. <laughs> so yeah, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt guys. And, and whenever I'm just such a big proponent of education, when somebody says something to you that you're curious about, or you're like, huh, I wonder, instead of just being like, yeah, you're right. And you don't know anything about it. They might not know anything about it. Go look it up. Go learn about it for yourself. And you might find that A, you agree with them, B, you don't, or C, maybe you need to do more research, right? Make your own decisions. You can listen. People, everybody has an opinion, right? They're like belly buttons and other body parts. (laughs) Opinions are like belly buttons. Most everyone has one. I know one kid that does not have a belly button. It's weird. His name is Frank. He's from high school. Hi, Frank. (laughs) Uh, That is strange. Hi, Frank. (laughs) It was a a surgery thing. They removed his belly button, apparently, when he was a baby. Where does he put the belly button ring? Right? He doesn't. What are you going to do? Huh. I know. It's okay. Anyway. Anyway. Hi, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? It's time for another rapid review. Brittany J had this to say about our CPT course. 
This certification has been one of the greatest academic achievements of my life. There was supportive educational success-driven student services and grading committees, custom tailored academic content, and versatile schedule opportunities to complete my course. Thanks, Brittany, and we're glad you loved it. Dan, what are your thoughts on low-carb diets for weight loss or fat loss specifically? Oh, man, that is such a good one, Jenny. Um, I'm going to give you my high-level answer. Mm -hmm. High level is it's not carbs, fats, and proteins. Ultimately, it's calories. It, it truly is. So if you're doing a, a low protein or low fat, no fat, and uh, to cut calories, okay. If you're doing let's eat nothing but you know proteins and meats or go keto, uh, you're still restricting calories. There's a little something more to that, but you're still restricting calories. Uh, carbs are uh, it, an easy one to restrict by a lot of people's thoughts because you get rid of your grains and your starches and so forth, right? Hopefully not your vegetables, which are also carbohydrates, which you should be eating every single day. So personally, I'm not a fan of removing anything uh, from a diet, uh, a macro to for fat loss. However, in your bodybuilder, uh, so you, Jenny, you can talk a little bit about protein synthesis and ratios of carbs to proteins and why it's actually quite important that you're still consuming carbohydrates. The brain requires it. Uh, glycogen's its number one source of fuel. Uh, glucose, I'm sorry. And so we we have to have carbohydrates to survive. So don't eliminate anything. Uh, dig into it, and and you'll find that for every diet that says eliminate that, there's just as many out there that say eliminate the other thing. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, like carbs are fuel. That's the bottom line. Like you said, the glucose from carbohydrate sources fuels our brain, not the glucose that's stored in our body. That glycogen, it does not fuel our brain. It literally has to come from food that we eat, which is why if you ever have had a day where you didn't eat a lot or you didn't eat a lot of carbs, you feel super brain foggy. You read a sentence and you have to read it over and over and over again to figure out what you did. You could like drive somewhere and then you get there and you're like, how did I get here? Because <laughs> your brain is not working properly. You feel super sluggish, right? For me, I can't do low carb personally because my blood sugar drops too low and I will get a massive headache, massive headache. Um, so I can't do that. Um, but to your point, you can't necessarily restrict one thing. Ultimately, it comes down to calories. And there's a lot of people out there probably like screaming at the speaker right now. It's not just about calories. It's about what you're eating. Absolutely, guys. But when you're, we're talking about trainers speaking to clients. Okay. When you're talking to a client, sometimes you have to keep it simple. And sometimes it starts with calories. You have to start somewhere, right? Because some clients, if you throw macros and micronutrition and all this other stuff at them, they're going to be super overwhelmed. But if you tell them, Joe, I need you to eat this many calories in a day. And we're going to use this logging software. Focus on just your calories. Give them two to three weeks to just get the calories right. Then you can go back and start breaking down. Okay, what are you eating? Where are your macros falling? Right now we can start making those small adjustments that we talked about as part of behavior change. All right, looks like your protein's a little low. Where can we trade things out to get more protein, but keep your calories the same, right? Protein and carbs have the same number of calories per gram. So that's a real easy switch. If you're eating too many carbs, it's really easy to trade it out, right? Does that make sense, you guys? Like, you can't just go after all the, ma the macronutrients. That's too much for a lot of people, way too much for a lot of people. And most people don't want to look at that kind of stuff anyway. So, yeah, low-carb diets for fat loss. There's science out there that shows that it works. Is it for everybody? No, right? You might have to work your way up to it. Um, but ultimately, they need to be consuming less calories than they are burning every day to lose fat, to lose weight. 
that's all there is to it. energy balance. That's really what it boils down to. So I would agree. And, and we're, we're simplifying something that you can make as complex as you want, right, Jenny? Absolutely. I mean, if you're, a, you're an athlete, if you're an endurance athlete or a, an athlete that's going to require more carbohydrates throughout the day. Mm -hmm. uh, when I say athlete, like a movement, like a runner or a cyclist or a swimmer versus a bodybuilder. So not to say that there's, you know, uh, a difference in the importance of their nutrition, but the macronutrients are going to be different. I need more carbohydrates if I'm going to go run 10 miles a day. Uh, whereas if I'm a bodybuilder, I'm, I'm trying to, to burn calories or, maybe, you know, gain weight, lose weight at the right time. So my fixed is going to be my protein. There's got to be a, a, that, you know, my fix is going to be my protein. Maybe I elevate it and decrease it a bit throughout the year and periodize that. But what's really getting moved around is the carbohydrates in order to change the caloric uh, intake overall. So yeah, you can make it complex, but I, I'm a big fan of the size of your palm three times a day in lean meats or proteins. I'm a big fan of, you know, handful of vegetables, two handfuls. You can never go too far. Two thumbs of healthy fats. Keep it simple for people. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of leads us to like the if, if it fits your macros type diet. Um, if it fits your macros is a diet plan or a meal plan that people use where they're like, okay, I'm going for these macros, right? So for example, 40% carbs, 30% protein, 30% fat, okay, equals 100%. And if I can eat whatever I want, it fits into what I'm trying to achieve for the day. Um, this, what we just were talking about kind of talks about the same thing. It comes down to the overall calories and am I hitting the goals that I want to hit? I love this. For a lot of people, it's the flexibility that they need and that, that they'll stick with, right? So again, not for everybody, but for some people, if it gives them a little bit of freedom and they can have that piece of candy or they can have that bowl of nuts over there, whatever it is that they feel like they want, as long as it fits into what they're trying to do each day, I say, let them do it. Right. There's no right or wrong. And a lot of this, a lot of nutrition is experimentation anyway. There's no, there's no hard and fast, right? Everybody's, everybody, everybody's body is literally different. So sometimes you have to experiment with it. Yeah, and, and, and uh, adding to that, like you, you know, when you get the example of uh, giving a, a client, say some leeway and say, if it fits your macros, you can do this or that or the other versus my palm versus let's, you know, look at it this way. I, we always want to, I believe, uh, consider how your client wants to learn, how your client wants to play. If you have a very analytical client, like I am, I'm very analytical. I love spreadsheets. I write down every minute of cardiovascular training I do. I just wrote down my time this morning and I track <laughs> it and I can go back 12 years because I'm analytical about it. Some folks, that drives them nuts. Mm -hmm. so, so make sure that whatever you're using to help them track what they're eating is something that they're comfortable with. Don't give them a spreadsheet or an app if they don't like technology and spreadsheets. Just use hands. Have them journal. Don't have them journal and use hands if they want to dig into the numbers. So also consider who that person is and how they best receive information and track information. 100%. I agree with that. And there's lots of tools out there, guys. So make sure you're looking, see what's out there. Um, ISSA doesn't necessarily promote one or the other. A lot of our partners, you'll notice we have multiple apps out there, right? Multiple of this, multiple companies that have equipment because we don't necessarily believe there's one way to do anything. There's options for everybody and everybody needs to find their best fit. And we don't have any uh, affiliates or recommendations on pencils and paper, folks. You can pick those up anywhere. Feel free to start small. <laughs> Keep it simple. K-I-S-S. I like it. Yeah, I'll get you a little three-pack of notebooks. <laughs> <laughs>
What's next? That's Jenny? how I roll. <laughs> I love it. All right. So let's talk about fasted cardio, fasted yeah. cardio. So fasted cardio is cardio that you do when you have no food, or like you haven't eaten in a while, essentially anywhere from six to 12 or more hours. What are your thoughts on fasted cardio? And you love cardio. So this is a great question for you. Well, what are your thoughts on yeah. fasted cardio? I don't love cardio, I, but, yes, I, do, but I do, do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like pumping iron, Jenny. It just seems like that's harder on my old body than, uh, than, than cardio is nowadays. Um, that's a, that's another depends question, right? For sure. I think to start with, I think it's important to understand the concept of fasted. If you are, you know, fasted, meaning, you know, we call it break the fast, right? And so it means you haven't eaten in a given amount of time. But the, the real concept behind it is that you don't have any glycogen stored. You don't have any glucose circulating around in your blood. You don't have any glycogen stored in your liver. You're always going to have some intramuscularly that's, that's, almost, that's tough to get rid of unless you mar- run a marathon without eating. Uh, so you're trying to deplete as much of that as possible, not just your stomach. This isn't stomach empty when it comes. Mm-hmm. So, so that I have to really rely and pull from my uh, fat stores and, and triglycerides and so forth in order to have the energy I need to do the activity. But what about if the activity is high intensity? Now I'm, you know, if you look at your energy systems, fat is not gonna be the, the primary fuel source for high intensity exercise. So I think we need to fuel the body with the right fuel. We, if we're gonna do fasted cardio, we truly need to be fasted and understand why we're doing it. Um, I think there's application for it in training, uh, in endurance events, for sure. Things uh, like, like I you know, uh, take part in, uh, to help the body get used to running in a depleted uh, glycogen st- uh, state. But for overall, just weight loss and fitness, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. And, and, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you, Jenny, talk. I love your analogy of the car. I love your analogy of driving a car. So please share that with everybody because that's one of the best ways to visualize the pros and cons of consuming uh, foods, in particular carbohydrates, before training. Sure. So I always tell people when they ask about fasted cardio, um, your energy level is not going to be the same, right? The effort and the intensity that you're going to be able to put into what you're doing is not going to be the same on an empty stomach and with no store, like no glycogen and no glucose to go off of. Okay. So imagine you're trying to drive your car on a two hour trip. Like for, for us here in Phoenix, going to Tucson down South is about two hours, maybe a little less, depending on how fast you're driving. But if you had two ticks above empty, when you start off on your trip, are you going to make it to Tucson? Maybe you might get there. You might have to call a tow truck about a third of the way down, right? But you might get there, but it might take you a whole lot longer. And it's going to be a whole situation, right? Versus if you filled up your tank before you left, you would make it there just fine. That's the way I look at it. So again, your energy, your effort is not going to be the same. Fasted cardio is a big thing that bodybuilders will use or people trying to lose body fat will do for the very reason that you talked about, right? You don't have the glucose floating around in your system. Your stored glycogen is depleted. So your body then resorts to body fat, which is a process. Another analogy I use, sit down restaurant versus fast food restaurant. The glucose floating around in your blood is the fast food restaurant. Your body can grab it, take it, use it, move on. If you don't have that available, your body has to go to the sit-down restaurant. So instead of McDonald's, it now has to go to Chili's or the steakhouse, which means you have to sit down. You have to wait for the the waiter to come over. You have to make your order. Now you have to wait for it to be prepared. They need to bring it out to you and then you can eat it, right? But in the meantime, what are you doing while you're waiting for your food? Not a lot, (laughs) right? So 
Um, if you're trying to do high intensity interval training at 5 a.m. or you know even 7 a.m. and you haven't eaten since yesterday, you'll you might be able to start off okay, but 5, 10, 15 minutes in, your energy is not going to be there. You might even have to completely stop because you're asking too much of your body for the fuel that it has available right now. It cannot keep up with what you're asking it. People will do slower or steady state cardio for 15, 20, 30 minutes, 60 minutes. Okay. Um, but I don't know about you. I don't like doing 60 minutes of cardio in a row. It's not my thing. It's not my oh, thing. Oh, come on. <laughs> you know, I just drove to California and back for the holidays. It's 13 hours each way. And uh, I told my family, I said, I'd rather go run for 13 hours than drive for 13 hours. And they all just kind of nodded their head and said, dad, dad's right. He would rather run for 13 hours. So it can be a lot of fun. Jenny. No, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what other myths or things are we going to chat about? Let's talk about high fat foods. People are talking about how high fat foods are unhealthy for us. What are your thoughts on high fat foods, Dan? Ah, another one. It's kind of like uh, the, the no carbs. Carbs are bad for you. Well, I would say let's start with what kind of fat, right? We have different types of fat, uh, saturated, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, and trans fat. So if something's piled full of trans fat, like most of those sweet things in boxes that you walk by and never grab at the, uh, the store, definitely stay away. Uh, the science is solid on the effects that, that trans fats have on the circulatory system and heart disease and things like that. Second, what is the source of fat? There are healthy fats. So Jenny and I both ate almonds. By the way, they're almonds. I used to farm them. They're not almonds. They're almonds, just like a salmon. Uh, but we both had handfuls of almonds today, and they're, they have a lot of omega-3 healthy fats in them. The, most, the primary source of calories from an almond is fat. It's not carbohydrates. It's, 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 um, it's, it's not protein. The highest number comes from the fat content. So is that a bad thing? So consider what type of fat it is and what it's in. Is it naturally occurring is, or is it added? So whole milk, it's naturally occurring fat. It's a naturally occurring saturated fat that hasn't been added to the food versus a food where fat is added to improve its flavor. So consider those things, but fat is not necessarily a bad thing, but there are some you want to avoid. Yeah, I'd agree. And it's all about balance. Like we talked about earlier, your body needs a certain number of calories, right? It needs food. It needs sustenance. And if you're eating all fatty foods all day, every day, like bacon and cheese and stuff like they do on the certain low carb diets, then yeah, that's going to be different, right? So your body will use the fat unless you're over consuming the number of calories that you need when in that case, our bodies will store it. It's just the way it works, right? Your body will store it. However, if you are eating healthy fats, your body can utilize them a little bit easier, right? Some fats require a little bit more breakdown than others. If you don't know much about digestion of fats, guys, look it up. That's what my parents used to tell us for everything. Look it up, <laughs> okay? But you also have to consider the fact that in the end of, at the end of the day, um, if you're over-consuming, your body will store fat, okay? Um, but the type of fat does matter. Um, and high-fat foods, if they don't need to be every meal that you're eating, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, like you said. Um, our bodies need different things. Fats are really important for a lot of different things, including hormone production, um, cellular function, cellular structure. Lots of different things in our body require fat, so you can't cut that out. Um, but again, it's about balance, and it's about finding the right balance for you. Everybody's going to be slightly different. And, you know, something I'll, I'll throw in that I, I, I know I used to think, and it's largely... Uh, I'm going to call it a myth, is that fat makes fat. 
and uh, not the case. So if you're consuming too many calories, I, I like to think of it as a parking lot. You know, there's only so many cars you can put in that parking lot. And that's going to be our, our muscles and it's going to be our liver and our, our circuit, uh, you know, our bloodstream and so forth. Once the parking lot's full, you got to go into overflow. And that's kind of like that long extended parking at the airport that you got to go about five miles to get to. That's your waistline, folks. So if the parking lot at the airport is full and you've got to go into the extended parking uh, parking lot, that's your waistline, that's your butt, that's your thighs, that's where you carry fat. It doesn't matter where you're getting those calories from, whether it's fats, carbs, or proteins, too many calories, too many cars, bigger pants. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one, Dan. I never heard that one before. I like it. So, okay, so my takeaway today, uh, there's three of them. There's a lot to know about nutrition, right? That's my first, my first takeaway. There's a lot to know about nutrition. My second takeaway, we need to do our research, people, right? Nobody knows everything, myself and Dan included, but do your research. If somebody says something, you read something, you hear something that sounds questionable, look into it. Don't just question it. Look into it. Find out more about it, okay? From reputable sources, not from Instagram. Yeah, Dr. Google. That careful, careful. I like, you know, sites like PubMed, for example, for, for research. There's a lot of science-backed uh, websites where you can find solid uh, information. Be careful about blogs. Be careful about opinions. Be careful about websites, um, for sure, unless they're referenced. Often a, a well-written blog or article will have references in it. You yes. can click on that. That's going to take you to the research. That's going to show you that that somebody's put some work in and then you can validate those those things. So absolutely do your homework. You just can't believe everything you hear out there, Jenny. You just can't. So true. <laughs> and you shouldn't. That's the and thing. You, you shouldn't, shouldn't question everything. That's right. Ex except me. Except me. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Don't <laughs> so I tell my son. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, look really? it up. Don't ask me for all the answers, but don't question what I tell you to do. No. Right. I, my parents always used to tell me to look stuff up, but I tell my youth athletes all the time at the beginning of every season, I tell them, yo, I am wrong more often than I am right. I admit that as an adult, and most adults will not admit that, especially not to kids. But second of all, if you have a question about something, ask me. If I can't explain it to you, we will find the answer together and we will learn something together. But don't ever just trust somebody blindly and not understand the why behind it. That makes no sense to me because then you're not gonna be a better person for it. Now you're just blindly going along with what they're saying, which makes zero sense to me. So I encourage my kids anyway, the kids that I coach to, uh, to question in a, in a nice way, like don't be a jerk, right? But question, if, you, if something doesn't make sense, ask, you have to ask. No asking, no giddy, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well said. Well said. I love it. Well, any last words for everybody about nutrition, food, chocolate, our favorites? <laughs> that could be a whole other episode, Jenny. Right. Uh, chocolate. Yeah, for sure. The best but brands of chocolate. I'm just going to echo what Jenny said. Do the research, folks. And, and it's ever-changing. Nutrition is not like uh, astronomy, which has been around for thousands of years. Uh, nutrition is a relatively new science. And so part of the scientific method is questioning science. And that's how we end up finding new things out, uh, you know, on a literally on a weekly basis. So stay up in the know um, and, and do your legwork, do your homework. No asking, no giddy, Jenny. Just like, yeah, I love that. 
I know, no one's no kidding. That's <laughs> my favorite. Absolutely, guys. Yep, get out there, learn more about a lot of these things. When clients come to you and they ask you questions, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Let me find out. Go do some research, learn something for yourself, because if this person in front of you has this question, somebody else that you're going to come across will have the same question and you'll be prepared that second time. Um, so hopefully you guys learned something. Re-listen to this podcast if you need to. And hopefully it gave you some things that maybe you want to go look up and learn more about. But as we always say when we end our podcasts, I need you to go out into the world and make good choices. We will be talking to you guys soon. Thanks for joining us.